recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge, high atop the John Driscoll Building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd. Tonight's topic, King Kong. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast here. And yeah, tonight, it's just me in the lounge here with you, so uh, just get some drink, sit back, and hang on, because <laughs> we're going to talk about the... 1976 Dino De remake of King Kong. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but this one has a special place, a little sentimental spot to me, because this is the first monster movie I actually saw in a theater. So every every few years I'll go back and watch it, I guess, and then it's been a lot longer than that, though, since I saw it last time. And I still have a fondness for it, but it's uh, it's not a very good movie overall, <laughs> come to think of it. After watching it again here recently. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some things about it I do like. But overall, it kind of plays out like a Cliff Notes version of King Kong, even though the movie is over two hours long. Two hours and some change. But it seems to move along, story-wise, especially after you see Kong, pretty quickly. And almost seems to jump around a bit. You have to watch it for yourself and decide see if that's the case, if you feel the same way as I do about that. But that being said, it, d- it takes a long time before we actually get a glimpse of Kong in this thing. Let's see, it was about 50-some minutes, I do believe. Let's see, yeah, actually 53 minutes <laughs> from the time the movie starts till we get a glimpse of uh, King Kong at all. And, uh, you know, hey, that's a, <laughs> that's almost half the movie there before we see the title star at all. But when we do, though, it's kind of cool. This one, unlike the original King Kong, where they it was all miniatures and all Willis O'Brien and his stop-motion techniques, which is phenomenal, this was done mainly by a guy in a monkey suit and then, of course, you know, screened in to shots. And then also they had gigantic scaled hands and arms built so the shots of close-ups of the girl in the hand, mechanical hands, which actually they didn't look too bad. The mechanics on them worked pretty good. But the guy in the suit was actually Rick Baker, which if you don't know who Rick Baker is, I don't know if we can be friends. <laughs> Rick Baker, man, started out as a kid learning special effects pretty much on his own, effects and makeup, and went on to do some major award-winning work in lots of films, uh, most notably American Werewolf in London, uh, is what most people remember him for, know him of. But he is the guy, he's the go-to guy for any gorilla or monkey type makeup. He's just phenomenal at that. He's got a knack for it. And this is early on in his career. I think just before this, he had done Schlock and Octoman. So <laughs> this was a big step up for him. And, uh, you know, maybe we should talk about Schlock on another episode. I need to watch that again. That'll be, that would be a good one. Rick Baker and uh, John Landis together. And almost like a college film, basically. Yeah, it's something else. But this film did good at the box office, from what I remember. And the advertising behind it, and the promotion, and, and the merchandising was amazing. You couldn't look anywhere in you know print, comics, anything in in '76 without seeing something for King Kong coming out. Posters all over the place. There were glasses at you know, like Burger King or one of the fast food joints had a set of Kong glasses. There were board games, a couple of different board games or puzzles. There were figures. There were t-shirts, posters. Everywhere you looked, there was King Kong merchandise. 
And the artwork was really cool. It was much better than the movie was. <laughs> the, the publicity artwork really promised you something amazing. And it's still to this day, the artwork. I love the artwork promotion stuff for this movie. And I'll pick up something whenever I see it. It's really cool. I'll post some of the, the images on the Facebook page. So be sure to take a look at that. And Also, while I'm on that subject, if you have anything you'd like to say, uh, tell us we're doing a good job, suggest something you want to hear us talk about, or tell us to shut the hell up, just drop us a line on the Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page or uh, at the Phantasmo After Dark email. It's phantasmoad at gmail.com, phantasmode, all one word, at gmail.com. Or, you know, like I said, just on the Facebook page. And, of course, I'll put up the trailer for this and lots of pictures. I'll try to find some behind-the-scenes pictures and stuff. So check check out the album on the Facebook page. Now, speaking of behind-the-scenes stuff, that's really the most interesting thing about this movie to me. Rick Baker, of course, doing the the man in the monkey suit acting, does you know does does a pretty good job, and he has more of a uh, anthropomorphic quality to Kong, kind of like in the original film where. He wasn't really made to move and look like a, a real gorilla. He was a super gorilla. You know, King he was King Kong, so he moved more almost more like a human. Walked upright instead of dragging his knuckles and had facial expressions more like a human and all. So that was kind of cool. And the suit work is, you know, is, is pretty good in this. The mechanical hands, like I said before, worked I thought worked really well. There's a few scenes later in the film where he's like reaching in to this bar to grab her and it's like, okay, the, his arms are not that long. <laughs> For him to reach in the door, across the bar, and grab her, and you not have him you know, pushing his shoulder into the building. Now, there's another thing. Talking about the, the, the length of his arms, the height of Kong himself uh, actually does change. And this was from the original film. This happened, too. Uh, in the original film, he was made out to be uh, only about 18 feet tall. And that was when he was on the island. But when they brought him to New York, they changed the scale to him to be at 24 feet and in some of the effects shots camera angles it made him look like he was bigger than that in this film the 76 version here we're talking about he is 42 feet tall on the island and 55 feet tall when he is to new york now even that seems in some of the shots he seemed really small compared to the buildings and because you know i always i don't know it's just king kong in my mind he's a lot taller than that <laughs> as is Godzilla in a, in a lot of, you know, of course his height changes constantly in the films. Well, let's, let me go back. Peter Jackson's film, he was 25 feet tall throughout the whole thing, but that was all CGI, so we're not even going to talk about that. Kong on Skull Island now, the most recent version, he was 104 feet tall, and that's the height that I kind of always picture Kong being. That just huge, as huge, as tall as the buildings, gorilla. And that movie, I thought it worked real well. I'm going to have to check it out again. Uh, when I saw it the first time, I really enjoyed it. But back to this film, there are some shots when, he, like I said, he's in the city and all, where he just doesn't seem big enough to me to be, a, I mean, of course he's a threat, but not as big a threat as they are, you know, making him out to be. He's like, okay, just, you know, get a tank in there, shoot him, he's gone, boom. One of the coolest things, talking about behind the scenes now, is the effects guy, was it Carlos Rimbaldi, I think? Anyway, the big publicity, I remember reading in Famous Monsters and other magazines at the time when this was getting ready to come out, that he was building a giant gorilla robot to do most of the work in the film. And, oh, man, that was good. That was so cool back then. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, fortunately, he did build it, a giant uh, 55-foot-tall gorilla robot. Unfortunately, it didn't really work that well. It was very static. 
and could mainly only really move the arms a little bit. So they only used it one of the scenes at the very end where Kong is in New York and they have him in this big cage and they're presenting him to the public. And it's a good thing because the shots, it, it does look really cheesy. Uh, <laughs> a good thing they cut cut back to him and cut away from him. And then when he's ripping the cage open, it's Baker in the suit doing the action. But it's really cool to think that somewhere it's at some point, I don't know where it is now or if it even exists anymore, but so cool to think that at one point there was a 55 foot tall robot gorilla statue somewhere <laughs> in California. Uh, or maybe it was in New York. No, those scenes, they did fill some of the scenes on location. Man, I would love to have seen that thing in person. That had to have been cool. I mean, pictures of it are about, and of course, I'll post some of those showing, you know, people around it and you can see it and all. And it's just, it's a shame that isn't somewhere on display constantly. <laughs> Because I think I'd have to make a pilgrimage out to see that. A couple of the other interesting things. The uh, cast of this movie. Now we know uh, it, it's got a great cast of people. Like I said, it's a shame it really isn't a better movie. <laughs> uh, but it's Jeff Bridges, Jessica Lang in her debut film. Introducing Jessica Lang, Charles Grodin, Renee Arbenjawa, uh, Jack O'Halloran, who was of course non in Superman 2, and Amal Muzz in... Uh, Dragnet the movie, <laughs> Dennis Fimple. You don't know his name, you'll know his face. He character acting tons of stuff. The last thing he did, I think, was uh, Z- Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, John Randolph, solid character actor, has been in tons of things. Ed Lauder, who's been in tons of things. Uh, John Lone, actually, was the cook on the ship in this. Probably one of his first roles. John Agar in a bit part. Walt Gorney. Now, Walt Gorney is a name you might not know, but uh, <laughs> if you've seen fr- the original Friday the 13th, he Walt is the crazy guy riding the bicycle, going around, it's got a death curse. Uh, Walt Gorney, God bless him, he was a subway uh, driver in this. And this was a little surprise. This is something I did not know. Peter Cullen, the the voice of Optimus Prime, and many, many other cartoon characters did all of the vocal sounds for Kong in this. And apparently really hurt his throat really bad <laughs> during the filming and was would cough up blood at some point. So, you know, glad he got all better and went on to do some really great voice work. Now, that's who was in the movie. Some of the people that were not in the movie actually auditioned. This is kind of cool. Early on here in their career, uh, Kim Basinger auditioned for the part of Dwan and Meryl Streep. But, you know, they weren't what the director wanted uh, or producers, you know, what, what the look they were going for. And they tried out an unknown Jessica Lang, gave her her first big break. So that's kind of cool. Would have been interesting to see uh, either one of them in the film. I think Melanie Griffith auditioned, too, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I read somewhere. A couple of other interesting bits here. The director of the film. Who, who we got to direct it, whose name is escaping me right now. But that doesn't matter because who they asked to direct it and turned it down. This is amazing. <laughs> Roman Polanski was offered the film and turned it down. And Sam Peckinpah was offered the film and turned it down. <laughs> Can you imagine this film done, you know, Roman Polanski's King Kong or... Sam Peckinpah's King Kong. It would have been two completely, totally different films. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine. The Peckinpah probably being the more fun or more interesting of the two films. 
Oh, going back to the, the robot for a second, the big giant robot Kong statue ended up being more of a statue than a robot. Only cost like about a million or so dollars to make. Now, back then, that was a lot of damn money for, to be used in a film on one thing. Nowadays, that barely covers the catering. But that robot only for all the publicity, and there was a lot of publicity for that thing in this movie when it came out. I mean, tons of That was the big push of this film, was this giant robot was going to be used for Kong. And it was on screen for less than a minute for screen time it got. And good thing, too, because it really, like I said, it really, uh, when it does move a little bit, it's obvious that it's just very stiff and, and like more or less just a statue that moves its arms. But still, it would be awesome if it was at, still in one piece somewhere. <laughs> now, this movie, uh, of course, I said earlier, Dino, Dino De Laurentiis was the producer, and I really like uh, stuff that De Laurentiis has his hand in. Of course, you know, this, like I said, a big soft spot. The first monster movie I, I ever saw in a theater. I uh, cannot remember the theater I saw it in, though. 76. Could have been the Great British Twin Theater. Could have been like Circle Six over at Military Circle when that was still around. Probably one of those two theaters. But De Laurentiis, of course, also produced you know Conan with Schwarzenegger, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Love that movie. Man, we ought to do a podcast on that sometime, too. That'd be awesome. Hey, drop us a line and let us know if you think we should. That'd be cool. But this movie, the like I'll go back. The main thing about this that I that I think I have the fondness for so much is the the merchandising on it because there was so much of it and it was in your face the whole time. And this was the first other than King Kong versus Godzilla in the sixties. And I guess it was King Kong escapes the other Japanese production. This was the first big return, you know, King Kong picture since the thirties, since, you know, the original film and Kong was legendary in our, you know, in our psyche since then, he's just stayed, stayed with us. And, with all the remakes that keep, or, you know, continuations that keep coming out, he still stays with us. There's something about a giant gorilla that people love. <laughs> or gorillas in general, I guess. This movie, though, going back a while, let me go over the plot real quick, just a real overview. The way it differs from other versions is it starts off with this oil company, Petrox, is going to this island where Charles Grodin is, I guess one of the executives of the company has, has found out about this possible island in the midst of this fog bank, and he's sure that there's oil on this island, so he's mounted this expedition to go find out. And they get to the island, they find it's an island, they get there, and they see this ceremony, the natives on the island find it's inhabited, and find this ceremony going on where they're offering up this female sacrifice to their god, Kong. The natives see Dwan with them, the white blonde girl, and offer to trade five of their women, or five or six of their women, for her to be the sacrifice. Of course, our guys refuse, take her back to the ship. Later that night, the natives sneak out on their boats and capture Dwan and drug her and take her back and tie her up and offer her to Kong. Our guys find out she's missing and go after her. Kong comes and gets her and goes off through the jungle. Our guys go after him. Doesn't work out too good for our guys. Uh, <laughs> only two of them make it back. And one of them is Jeff Bridges, and he actually gets... Uh, Dwan away from Kong as Kong's wrestling this giant snake, which is really cool in a lot of the artwork. And it didn't look too bad on film. You can tell it's a fake snake when he's wrestling around, but it still looks really cool. This giant gorilla wrestling this giant uh, snake and then ripping its jaw in half. It's pretty cool. So we get back and 
in between this happening, while the guys are going to search for Dwan, Charles Grodin finds out that the oil that is on the island isn't ready to be crude oil. It needs about another 10,000 years before it's cooked uh, <laughs> and is in condition to be oil used for gasoline and all that stuff. So he decides to capture Kong and take Kong back to use Kong as publicity for the oil company. So at least he'll get something out of the expedition. And then they end up capturing Kong and putting him in this oil tanker, bringing him back to New York. And then you know how the rest of it plays out. So that's how, that's the story of this story. Now, Charles Grodin in this is, I, I think that's one of the things I like about this, is Grodin, I'm used to seeing Charles Grodin playing kind of a nebbishy, everyman kind of character, real soft-spoken kind of character, most everything I've seen him in. And in this, he plays an asshole. He plays this oil executive guy who's stern and, and just gruff and really pretty much a dick the whole time, totally against type of anything I've seen Charles Grodin in before. So his performance is kind of fun to watch in this. Uh, everybody else is, you know, pretty much what you'd expect from him in this. The character actors are always a joy to see, you know, familiar faces again. And Jeff Bridges is kind of playing Jeff Bridges in this, I think, and looks like a baby, as does Jessica Lange, a gorgeous baby at that in this. And let's see, anybody else in this of note? I did mention John Agar pops up, which is kind of cool. Always good to see John Agar in a, a fantasy horror movie. Faye Ray was actually offered a part as a cameo in this, but she turned it down because she didn't like the script at all. <laughs> she was probably the wisest person involved in the production. <laughs> like I said, it's kind of a fun little movie, but it's more fun, I think, the nostalgic memory of it is more fun than actually the film itself. Going back and watching it again, there are parts of it, like I said, I do like. But overall, it really seems like it jumps around and is a little too, even being as long as it is, seems like it's too quick. Almost like it was cut really jumpy in between scenes. I feel like there should be more filling it out, you know, going on, and it just doesn't happen. But one of my problems with some of the things going on in it, one, I said earlier, Kong to me just seems like he's not big enough in this movie. And I, you know, I need to go back and watch the original again because apparently, like I said, you know, the height of he was smaller in the original. But the original is such a good movie. There's a scene in this one where the guys are going after Kong and they get on the log. And you know, this is kind of from the first movie. And Kong comes from the other end, this log bridge. They're trying to go across this big chasm. And Kong comes along, grabs the end of the log, and flips it all around and knocks the guys all fall to their death and in the chasm below in the water or on the rocks or whatever. There's no real gore in this except for when he rips the snake in half. You don't see the guys actually hit anything. You just see him fall and go, Aah! you know. Jeff Bridges' character manages to get to the end of the log just as Kong's coming and then scoots down the a vine down the cliff a little bit and gets in a little uh, crevice. Okay, Kong's flipping all the guys off the log. One of the guys gets to the back to the other side and escapes, and he throws the log down in the thing. A little later, when Bridges finally gets Jessica Lang and is bringing her back, they're running away from Kong. I'm assuming it's the same place, but it has to be a different spot, a different chasm they come to, because he and Dawn, Dwan jump off the chasm and land in the water and swim away. Now, if that was the same spot, wouldn't the guys falling off the log be okay? Uh, <laughs> couldn't they have just fallen in the water also? <laughs> so I'm guessing it was a different spot, but it, the way it's shot, it kind of leads you to think they, you know, they're coming back the way they came because that's the way he would know to get back, I guess. Another thing, another thing that kind of bothered me is when they have Dwan up for the sacrifice outside the big gate, 
The jungle in front of her is thick and dense, and Kong comes through it and breaks all the trees and you know, makes it, clears a path and then comes and gets her. Well, they've done this sacrifice before, and I'm assuming many times over the years. Wouldn't there already be a cleared path through the jungle right there? It would, <laughs> It should be just, you know, a walk in the park right there. There shouldn't be any trees at all grown up where he comes through. Uh, unless they do it once a generation, maybe. I don't know. But that just seems a little weird and a lot of play. I know they had him break through all the stuff because it's more dramatic that way. But, it, you know, it could have been shot like a low angle one here and the, him coming out of the darkness and the, you know, thump of his footsteps and the <laughs> sounds. And it, they could have got around it. A good cinematographer could have got around it. But that's just a little, little thing that bothers me. The shots of him when he gets to the World Trade Center, again... All the publicity. There's this great poster, one of the main posters you saw all the time. I think it was the one sheet, too, actually, where he's standing astride the two World Trade Center buildings and has like a hunk of, I guess it's one of the helicopters in his hand. He gets this flaming piece of metal and the girl in the other hand, and he just looks huge and menacing. And in this movie, he's standing on top of one of the World Trade Centers and is small enough that he can walk across to the other side. He doesn't, he's not towering over the top of it and he jumps from one to the other. So that's kind of a letdown in in that he just seems like he should be bigger and more menacing. And like I said, the publicity art for this thing is just, yeah, I love the publicity art for this and used on all the merchandising. It's just really, really cool. And I'm going to put as many pictures as I can of that stuff uh, that I can find on the page. So be sure to check that out. As far as I know, this is uh, still available on DVD. I think you could just go to Amazon and find one. The copy I've had, I've had for a long time. And I think I even actually got it at a thrift store. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if it's on Blu-ray. That would be kind of interesting to see if there's any extras on it. Because the, the copy I've got is a bare bones. It has... Just has the trailer, I think, is all it has on it extra. Nothing really, you know, nothing to speak of. No behind the scenes, nothing really cool. Oh, actually, okay, here you go. Through the magic of the Magic Oracle, Amazon does have it. There's a couple versions. There's a DVD that has the original 33 King Kong and the 76, a double feature. There's the this one by itself you can get. A couple different DVD versions of it, and... I would recommend the double disc as it is currently going for $19.99 on Amazon Prime and the single disc is $27. do not ask me why. While I have it open, it doesn't appear that it is on Blu-ray, which, uh, you know, hey, you're not missing anything. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's any extras on it. Anyway, you can look that up and see yourself. Uh, yeah, I wish, yeah, I wish there were. I wish there was at least like a making of featurette. That would be kind of cool. And have him talk to Rick Baker back at the time, and then about building you know, the other guy about building the giant robot. I'm I'm fascinated with that thing. I love big set pieces. I love going to any place like you know like roadside attractions, like the you know the roadside dinosaurs you'd see on trips and stuff in Dinosaur Land and places like that. That stuff just fascinates me. I love it to death. And as a matter of fact, speaking of Dinosaur Land, if you ever get a chance to get up to near Winchester, Virginia, oh, what's the name of the town there? Anyway, look up Dinosaur Land in Virginia. It's been there since the early 70s, maybe the 60s. I went when I was a little kid. My dad, we stopped by there on the way back from some trip. And I couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old, maybe nine at the most. And I've got a bunch of black and white pictures from back then. Well, I found out a few years ago, 
found out that it was still open. So Phyllis and I took a trip up there, and we've been back there one time since then. But we went back. This was awesome. It was still there. All the dinosaurs were still there, and some of, most of them had been repainted. And, they, I mean, these are life-size fiberglass dinosaurs in this park. And you pay a couple bucks and you go in. And I love this place so much. We went, <laughs> we went back, and I took the black and white pictures with me, and we recreated every photo that was that we'd taken when I was like seven or eight of me now. And this is probably about ten years ago now. But in this, tried to do the same poses. And, you know, those dinosaurs, a lot of them shrunk. They weren't as big as they used to be. <laughs> but one of the coolest things about this place is they have a, a almost life size King Kong there, and. When I went the first time as a kid, you could only get close to it. But since then, they have readjusted the way it's mounted and built up a hill to where you can walk up this, these steps and sit in his hand and take a picture like that. One of his hands is extended. It's awesome. If you get a chance to go to this place, by all means, go. It's only a couple bucks to get in. There's a big, I think, a brontosaurus out front. You cannot miss this thing as you drive by. And you go inside, you go through the gate. And you can spend, you know, a couple of hours just walking around and taking pictures of and playing around with the dinosaurs and stuff. It's awesome. Highly recommended. Worth the trip. And there's a local King Kong for you. Also, now talking about the big fiberglass statues like that, there's also near Natural Bridge, Virginia, going a few miles away from it down the highway, there's a, a place called the Pink Cadillac Diner, which is a little 50s style diner. And it's kind of cool. It's all decorated inside. I think there's even a motorcycle inside the diner, an old jukebox. But standing out front is probably, I don't know, a 20-foot tall fiberglass King Kong holding an airplane in one hand over his head. And that's all. you got to stop and take a picture of that if you, you know, next to him if you, go, <laughs> if you go there. That's just really cool. There's only two that I know of that I've seen and been around. But I would love to travel the United States and stop at every place like that that there is. <laughs> That's my dream vacation right there, folks. Yeah. Don't judge me. <laughs> but back to this film. You know, I recommend it. You know, I recommend every film we talk about on here. It Watch it for yourself. Make your own judgments. Uh, I've heard uh, some people say, I heard one person say this is their favorite Kong film, and I, I can't really understand that. But... <laughs> But I have, on the other end, I have heard a lot of people say this is the least favorite Kong film, and they can't stand it, they hate it, and, you know, I'm not that, I'm not that far either way. It's one of those, it's definitely not my favorite. I do have a sentimental soft spot for it because of the first time that I saw it, and I do have to go back and revisit every so many years just to check it out. Usually it's long enough that I've kind of forgotten a lot of the things that really bothered me about it because <laughs> it's so long between viewings. But if you can, if you get a copy, if you can check it out, check it out and see what you think. Uh, like I said, the cheese factor is pretty high in a lot of uh, parts on it. But it is what it is. And I'm not giving it two thumbs up, but give it a shot. See what you think. I mean, it's no King Kong Lives, thank God. But <laughs> it is the first big remake that we got since the original until that point. And then after that, it had been, you know, I think, what, the next one, not counting King Kong Lives was the, the Peter Jackson one, I believe. But people, you know, we, we seem to have, like I said earlier, we, as a collective, we seem to have a fascination with gorillas and monkeys, with all the Planet of the Apes films and the popularity they have and the popularity that Kong has, even when there wasn't a film around. Kong is still one of the most popular film monsters ever, and everybody knows who King Kong is. And, you know, there's something about that that's kind of cool. I'll give another few years, I'll watch this again. Till then, 
I think I'm going to go back here pretty soon and watch the original and fall in love with that again. So that's about all I got to say about it. This is kind of a short one. There's really not a whole lot to say about this film <laughs> other than that. So drop us a line on the email or at the Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page and let us know how we're doing. Suggest some podcasts or just say hey, you know, and take a look at all the pictures from all the other movies we've talked about. And you can go, you know, you can go back to Podbean and check out any of the previous episodes here that we've done. And we'll have some more good ones coming to you soon. So that's it for tonight. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody.